The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Have your Bibles there this morning. I apologize. My voice is very croaky. Have your Bibles there this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. <clears throat> Romans chapter 9, verse 30 down to verse 33. Romans chapter 9, verse 30, down to verse 33. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Praise the Lord for his word. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 9. And before I get started into the message this morning, I just want to make mention of the fact that as we look for people to take the place of folks like the Perrys in terms of leading our youth, can I challenge us to be thinking, I can do that. Why not us? We can do this, guys. So often, our mindset has been, well, there's a small problem, so I'm just going to step back. Guys, the water goes off all around the city. That's a part of life. Electric goes off all around the city. That's a part of life. And yet, some people choose to place priorities on places where it doesn't matter what happened to the water or the power or the data or the bus running or what. We're going to overcome and step over those things and move on and strengthen, make our way through it. So when I say, why not us, I really honestly believe that if our nation is going to take off for God and do great things for God and young people are going to be trained for God, we have to be the ones who go, I don't care what happens last night or through the morning, I will still be in my place and I will still do everything I can to carry the gospel and I will do everything I can to teach the next generation so that the next generation will not use those things as excuses. Friday after Friday after Friday. Many, I, many of you have no idea about this. Friday after Friday after Friday. Phil gets up, goes to work, works all day long, phone calls overseas, runs a business, 
gets off, 5, 5.15, race to the house, change, get into another vehicle, uh, get back into his vehicle, race back out here, lead. Every other bit of scripture, all for the single purpose of showing us the character of God. Who is God? How can you be right with Him? That's what we see here further is a development in Romans chapter 9, an understanding of the character of God. It might seem like a detour as Paul goes, here, let me talk about Israel for a little bit. And in stepping off to the side, we get to see this is more of the character of God. We saw it back in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. God always keeps His promises. Look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. It seems like, yes, God made promises to Israel. And it seems like God's not really paying attention to those promises right now. But He will come back to them. There are prophecies all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. There are prophecies that God will come back to His people Israel. In the meantime, He's given us an opportunity. You and I, known as Gentiles, have been given an opportunity to put our trust in Jesus and to be made right with God. We'll talk more about that today. We also saw further in chapter 9 that God, in His character, He chooses... He has the right, as the righteous sovereign whom to choose to give His promises. We saw that in verse 18. Therefore hath He mercy on whom He will have mercy, and whom He will He hardeneth. He has the right. He is the righteous sovereign. Sovereign meaning King of the universe. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's in charge of all things. And He is righteous. Very hard for us to wrap our minds around the idea of someone who has absolute power without being corrupted. It's very hard for us human beings to understand that. But He is the righteous sovereign. In Him dwells no sin. He is perfect in all of His ways. And so He can make promises to whom He wills. And he's right in doing that. And then we also saw as another part of his character is that he has a purpose in the timing behind his promises. You might remember that from verses 25 and verse 26. Verse 25, as he saith also in O.C., that's Hosea. I will call them my people which are not my people, and her beloved that is not beloved Verse 26, and it shall come to pass that in the place, you might remember that from our study in Hosea, in the place, Jezreel, in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. You might remember that. Jezreel, meaning God sows. And in the action of God scattering, as it were, the nation of Israel, God in that act was sending them abroad, for He is not finished with them, just as the sower goes forth to sow and scatters the seed. He does not scatter it to be done with it. He scatters it so that it will be sprouted in many places. God will always keep His promises, and He has His own purpose in the timing of His promises. So then that brings us into verse 30. Verse 30 to verse 33 is really conclusion to this chapter 9. And you can see him give a concluding question in verse 30. Look at the beginning of verse 30 with me. What shall we say then? Another way to say that is, how do I conclude this? How do I wrap this up? What shall we say then is his question. What do we say about Israel? What's the conclusion of this matter? God made a promise to Israel And Israel is not following God. So does God just give up on them? 
Remember, he would not be righteous if he gave up on them, and yet they've turned their back on him. That's hard for you and I as human beings to reconcile. I'll give an example. Could you imagine if you found a kid on the street, doesn't have any hope in his life, and you adopted that kid into your family? Let's say even on a greater level, let's say you don't have any other children. You have no kids, you adopt a street child in, you bring that child into your home, you feed him, you clothe him, you give him his own bedroom, you put him through the finest schools, you do everything you can to help that child have a best leg up for his life. You give him everything you can and you make him a promise, son, when I die, everything that I own is going to be transferred to you, I've put it in my inheritance. That would be a great, tremendous blessing to that child. But let's say, for the sake of illustration, that that child, once he finishes university, turns his back completely on you, hates you, says swear words at you. Let's go to the nth degree, and let's say in a fit of rage, he kills somebody and ends up in prison. You try your best to try to mend relationships. You try to call him. You try to visit him. You try to build that relationship back. You go out of your way. I've promised to do good things to you, and yet he has turned his back on you. You know what you'll do? If you're like me, you'll rewrite your will. You don't get anything. I'll give every toy to the Rotary Club. I'll give nothing to you, boy. You know what that is? That's us as human beings with limited knowledge making promises based on our limited knowledge. You know what God does not have? Limited knowledge. So when God makes His promise, He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all of those things, and He knows the points when you will go astray, and yet He still remains faithful to His promises. He does not hang His promises on the conditions of your actions. He hangs His promises on the condition of His own character. And God did the very same thing with Israel. What should we say then? Is God done with Israel? Oh no, God has made His promises and He will always keep His promises. We, as human beings, tend to change our promises. Circumstances change and we change. But He has foreknowledge. He knows all things. So what shall we say about this? Look at verse 30 with me. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. So I'm going to give you two main points today. The first one is this. The Gentiles gain righteousness by trusting Jesus. Gentiles gain righteousness by trusting Jesus. That's straight out of verse 30. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but all of chapter 9, he's been talking about Israel, 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 Israel. And then he says, well, how will we conclude this? And he goes, the Gentiles. Now, to my mind, I think he said, Israel, 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 how do we conclude it? He should have said Israel. But instead, he went, Israel, 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 how do we conclude it? The Gentiles. And I scratch my head and I think, wait, there must be something going on here. And there is. So let's break down verse 30 and see it. 
What should we say? The Gentiles, here's our first phrase, which followed not after righteousness. And that's a given. The Gentiles. The lost people of the world who had their own idols. They did not worship God. The Gentiles had their backs turned against God. All throughout the Old Testament, 4,000 years of Old Testament history, the Gentiles did not follow after God. They filled with sinfulness. But then look at the next phrase that's said here. The Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. They did not stop doing bad things, start doing good things, and then God gave them righteousness. That's not how it worked. They did not evaluate their lives and decide that the path they were headed down was leading to destruction. That's not how it worked. They did not turn over a new leaf. They did not try to realign themselves within the rules and the ceremonies of the Old Testament. No, they got righteousness. It was given to them. The word attained literally means grasped. It was put into their hands and they held on to it. The Gentiles got it and it tells us exactly how they got it. See it in verse 30. They have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of, church you help me, is of faith. They got righteousness where? By faith. Not by working it out. Not by changing their lives. They got given righteousness by faith. That should come to you and me as a shocking statement. How is it that they got given righteousness simply by faith that doesn't seem to make sense to me? So if you have your Bible there, come back to Romans chapter 3 because Paul makes this very same argument in Romans chapter 3. Don't you see it in verse 19? Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19, he talks about this very same thing. How are we made righteous with God? You say, Pastor, I'm not familiar with this term righteous. Maybe a different way to say it would be, how are you made right with God? Think with me back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They fell, they broke God's command. One single command, don't eat of that tree. They ate of the tree. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. Now we are all sinners born into sin. So we want to and we need to be made right with God. How do we get that righteousness? Look at verse 19. This is Romans 3 and verse 19. Now we know that what, what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty before God. So the law condemns. The law says you did this wrong. It doesn't make you right. The law just puts it place clear. You lied, you cheated, you stole, you committed adultery. You're guilty. Guilty before God. And friend, that's a terrifying place to be. Guilty before God. I need His righteousness. Otherwise, I'm damned to eternity, separated from God, in hell, forever. I need His righteousness. But if I cannot attain it on my own, I need Him to give it to me. So see in now verse... 20. 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it was because of the law that we realized how exceedingly sinful we really are. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's made place clear. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this is not a new thing. It wasn't something that just popped up now. The law and the prophets foretold the fact that God would send His Son to be the one who would take our place on the cross. And so here he says, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. And it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. And here it is, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. There it is, right there. Where does righteousness come from? How can I be right with God? It's found right there in verse 22. It's the only place that you're going to get it so clearly. The righteousness of God by the faith of Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe. Let me take a moment and think with me. Romans 9, God makes His promises. You can trust His promises. And when He promises that He'll give you righteousness, if you but believe, you can trust His promises. And He will give you His righteousness. The righteousness of God, which is by faith unto all, and upon all them that believe. And this is a promise. So what was my problem? Oh, that's found in verse 23. My problem? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's my problem. That's your problem. Our problem is that our sin separates us from the glory of God. But His His glorious gift... Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word justified means to be made righteous. He's going to make me right with God. How does that happen? Being justified freely by His grace. It's not something that I did. It was His gift, His grace. He bestowed that upon us. His goodness upon us, we would sing. The goodness of Jesus. As He gives us His grace. I'm justified. I'm made right by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what did God do and what did Jesus do? Look at verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Let me remind you that God's wrath abides upon our sin. If you don't have Jesus taking your sin, God's wrath abides upon you. That's a terrifying place to be. Under the wrath of God, oh, please don't stay there. There's only one way to escape the wrath of God is by Jesus becoming your propitiation. And I know you didn't use that word this week when you were talking. Propitiation, it means the gift that turns away wrath. So notice the way that God did this. Verse 26, uh, verse 25, God has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. So what did God do? God put Jesus on the cross. Don't let people tell you that it was a mistake and the Roman soldiers somehow overpowered Him. For He could call down 72,000 
legions of angels, 72,000 angels to wipe up the ground with those Roman soldiers. And yet he chose not to. Instead, he went to the cross. He did not even allow Peter for a moment to use the sword. Peter, put your sword away. I'm fixing Malchus's ear. Put your sword away, Peter. I'm going to the cross on purpose because I am going to be the propitiation, the gift that turns away God's wrath. I'm the gift that goes back to God so that you can be made right with God. So God set forth Jesus to be a propitiation to them that believe. You see it in verse 25, God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. So here we trust Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus and God gives me His righteousness. You might remember 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you've been around here any long, any, any length of time, you'd know that verse well by now. And He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God made Jesus to be our sin took all of my sin and placed it on Jesus and took all of His righteousness and placed it on me so that I could be made right with God. I need right with God. Without right with God, it's forever. Hell is forever. And God took my sin and put it on Jesus. The gift that turns away His own wrath so that I might receive His righteousness. Friend, it's been said so well that when God looks at me, He doesn't see me and my sin. He sees His Son and His righteousness so that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, this is how the Gentiles are made righteous. Not by choosing to live a different life, but by trusting God at His promises. Come back over to Romans chapter 9. In fact, I might have you just look into the start of chapter 10 and you might see one verse there. So God's promise is that if you trust Jesus' work on the cross at Calvary, that He will count that as your righteousness. You might remember the words that were used in Romans chapter 4. Abraham, thousands of years before, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We and I, you and I believe God and it's counted to us for righteousness. So now look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He fulfilled every requirement of the law. He did every bit of it. And then he says, just hide behind me. Trust me. I will be your righteousness. So we can trust Him. We can hide in Christ for He is the end of the law. Think of it like this. He is the finish line. I can't get there. He already did. He's the end of the law. All I have to do is trust Him. He gives me His righteousness. He's the treasure. You don't even have to keep searching. He's the end of the law. Let's come back to chapter 9 again in verse 30. So first we saw the Gentiles gain righteousness by trusting Jesus. And then the second part of this passage, we'll see Israel could not gain righteousness by their law following. They could not gain righteousness by their law following. Let me read verse 30 down to verse 32. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel 
which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, or another way to say wherefore is why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So here we have Israel not obtaining righteousness, and the reason given is because they did not do it by faith. They thought if we can just tick off all of the boxes, then we will have God's righteousness. Some of them thought we become right with God just simply because I was born into this family. I'll live the way I want to live, but because I'm born into this family, I get to be right with God. Or maybe it's because I tie my phylacteries to my right arm and to my forehead, or because I go to the temple on an annual basis, or because I do my sacrifices, when I tick off all these boxes, God will be pleased with me. Friend, be careful. It's very easy for you and I as Christians to fall into that very same mold. If I wear my necktie, or I'll pick on our deacons, wear a suit... Or if I come to church on a regular basis, or if I invite my friends, or if I read my Bible, or if I tithe, I will earn God's favor. Oh no, oh no, you do not earn God's favor. He gives it freely by grace. You receive it by faith. I trust you, Jesus. You went to the cross, so I trust you, Jesus. And he says, righteous. I need that, friend. You need that. Sadly, Israel thought that they needed to work their way into God's favor. And so that's what we see in this passage. Jesus explained this in Matthew chapter 15. I'll put the verses here, verses 7 to 9. Jesus said to those of Israel, you hypocrites... Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Heart is so far away from God. And I know right now we call ourselves a Christian nation. But I submit to you, our nation is far from God. It does not matter what label you put on. And even, yes, in this season, as for the next four to six weeks, as some will tout their own righteousness as they go from place to place and call upon the name of God as though God has set them forth for this time. Oh, be careful. And while I point at those Let us be careful that we not miss ourselves. We are no better. We come to church and we tick all the boxes. We tithe and we give. We smile and we shake hands and we say how happy we are to see one another, but we get in the bus and then we get upset at the bus driver for going to the wrong drop-off location first. It took me an extra ten minutes to get home today. We get upset at our boss when he calls us out for being late to work. We build our little kingdoms all week long. And I might even submit that sometimes we don't even pause in building our kingdom by coming to church because we know that by coming to church, be careful. We do not obtain 
righteousness by the deeds of the law. Righteousness is attained by faith, and he gives it. Look at verse 32. We'll complete the verse. Wherefore, they, the question is why. Why did they not get it? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, this is both from Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The people of Israel were not seeking righteousness by trusting God. They were seeking righteousness by doing their own good deeds. And God says, well, here, what I'll do is I'll place in front of you a stumbling stone, namely Jesus. Jesus causes them to stumble. You say, how does that, how does that work? How does Jesus cause you to stumble? Because Jesus removes any chance of boasting. When you believe that you obtain your righteousness by doing good things, and then God puts Jesus in front of you, and you realize, wait a second, I have to put Jesus as a rock in front of us. And Jesus described himself as a stone. Mark chapter 12, in quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, he quoted, Jesus makes this statement in Mark 12. He says, have you not read the scripture? He's talking to the Pharisees who are trying to trip him up. He says, have you not read the scripture, old Pharisees? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. That was originally quoted in Psalm 118. Jesus quotes it again, and then Peter quotes it again in Acts chapter 4. And here's what Peter says. This is after Peter has been arrested for healing the lame man at the gate. And here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. Be it known unto you all, he's speaking to the chief priests and to the scribes, he says, be it known unto you all and to the people of Israel. Oh, please, Israel, listen. He's a rock, but it doesn't have to be a rock of offense in front of you. He can be your cornerstone. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him does this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. And let these words sink in. Acts 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. It's not found in any other. You'll not find salvation apart from Christ. Only in Jesus is your righteousness ever going to be found. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Your sin separates you from God, but you'll never work your way out of sin. The law will continually be standing there saying, condemned, condemned, guilty, guilty, guilty. But if you're going to get out from underneath that guilt, you need to hide in Jesus, the one who took your sin upon the cross. And He became sin for you, that you might be made righteousness in Him, so that instead you stand before God, instead you stand in your sin, instead you stand in His righteousness. And you get that only by faith. And can it be reminded to us, all of Romans chapter 9, He made His promises and He always keeps His promises. So when He promises, trust Jesus, you can hang your hat on that one, for He will save your soul. For if He doesn't, He's a liar. Let this sink in, brothers and sisters. 
And one night, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Come over to John chapter 3 with me and we'll finish there. One night, Nicodemus came to Jesus. A lot of us don't realize this, but Nicodemus was also a Pharisee. Poor guy. He had been taught one thing all of his life. And then he sees Jesus, and he understands what Jesus is teaching. And he goes, wait a second, the things that I've heard all my life don't line up with what I'm learning from Jesus. So he comes to talk to Jesus one night, and when he comes to talk to Jesus, he asks Jesus some questions, but then Jesus very quickly turns it, and Jesus makes a statement early in John chapter 3. He made a statement to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Nicodemus hears that, and he thinks... Physically, how is it possible for me to go back into my mother's womb and to be born again? I am a full-grown man. That's his logical question. And that question makes a lot of sense. And Jesus says, no, wait, I'm not talking about a physical birth, for all of us are born physically once. And when you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born again, you are born twice, you die only once. And Jesus teaches Nicodemus a very important lesson. And we're going to read in verse 14 in just a moment. But let me give you a little bit of background to what Jesus makes a statement for in verse 14. The story that he's going to mention in verse 14 goes back to Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, what had happened was the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness... Aaron, the high priest, had just died. The people were wandering in the wilderness, and they began to complain. They complained about the food. They complained about the water. It's as if they had forgotten that God could be trusted. And God punished them by sending poisonous snakes among them. Isn't it interesting that when a poisonous snake comes in among you, you stop worrying about what you were eating and drinking? Poisonous snakes getting their attention. Snakes biting people. People were dying. That was the punishment of God. God made a statement to Moses in Numbers 21. He said, here's what I want you to do. This is going to help the people. He said, get a pole. We'll call it a post. Get this pole and get a serpent made of brass. Make a brass serpent, an iron snake. And wrap it around that post and stand that post up in the middle of the camp. And what will happen is if somebody gets bitten by a snake, if they look on that brass serpent, they'll live. Can I just say something? That doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. If I get bit by a snake, I've got a couple of options. Run to the hospital and die on the way. Maybe I could buy some snake oil medicine off of a snake oil salesman somewhere. Keep that in my pocket in hopes that things don't go so bad for me. I got all kinds of options. 
I could get bit by the snake and hope that maybe I can just muscle through. I'm a strong enough man. I've not got any comorbidities. I'm going to be okay. I hope. There's all number of things. But go look at a brass snake around a pole makes no sense. You know what God was telling them? I make promises. I always keep my promises. You can trust me in my promises. Look at the snake. And those who looked at the snake lived by faith. God was setting forth in Numbers 21 a lesson that we could hang our hats on for the rest of eternity. Jesus makes a statement to this in John 3, 14. Now, please don't go home and tell people, Pastor Matt said, if you have enough faith, you'll live through a snake bite. That's not what I said. It worked in Numbers 21 because they had what God said to do, all right? You get bit by a snake, call me and I'll pray with you as you're dying. Just kidding. Visitors, I kid like that from time to time. A little dark humor for us in Papua New Guinea, sorry. (laughs) Jesus is going to make a statement here in John chapter 3 and verse 14. I want you to see how he says this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just like those people in the wilderness, Moses' day, looked upon a snake that was wrapped around a post, and it made no sense. Those that looked upon the snake wrapped around a post lived. And Jesus said, in the very same way, Those who looked upon the snake would live in the very same way. Those of us who look upon Christ, who will be raised on the cross, those of us who look upon Him, will also receive eternal life. That's faith. Can I remind you that God makes His promises? He can make them to whomever He wants to. He has made this promise to us. His timing will be perfect, and you and I can trust Him. You can go to the bank on that one. You can trust Him in His promises. You might know this verse in 16, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He provided the way. You don't get it through your good works. Guys, it doesn't matter how many times you count the beads or how many prayers you pray, or how many people you bring to church, or how much tithe you give, it doesn't matter. Because he said there's only one way to have eternal life. That's look on Jesus. Trust Jesus. For he is the one that will give you eternal life. He makes promises. You can trust them. Unless you think for just a moment this morning, well, I'm not so bad that I need to look on him. Just in case you think that way, Jesus clarifies it in verses 17 and 18. We'll finish with those verses. Look at 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Can I let those words ring in your mind this morning? 
If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've not hid behind the cross, if you've not trusted Jesus for your righteousness before God, you stand condemned. I don't say those words with amusement or joy in my heart. I repeat the words of Jesus. You're separated from God, and eternity is a very long time. And yet God sent Jesus to hang on the cross to be the gift that would turn away his own wrath so that all we must do is trust him as Gentiles. Born in sin, given over to sin, all we have to do is trust him. And he gives us righteousness. I wonder this morning if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus. Could I ask you to bow your heads with me? I'm going to give an invitation this morning, and I'd like for you to examine your heart. Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? Certainly, you're not trusting your own righteousness. You're here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I've never put my trust in Jesus, but I sure would love to this morning. I've been putting it off for a long time. Friend, can I assure you there are people who have been praying for your soul you say, now mourning me like Tanya and Bell, me like some Christ's life for me. Maybe I put you one blast, ask him. Walk about he come, Dasol. You can get up from where you're at, walk down here to the front. We're not looking around, we're not going to call out and make ashamed, but he who trusts in Jesus will not be ashamed. Can I invite you to come? I'll have somebody sit with you, show you from Scripture how to put your trust in Christ. Is there one like that this morning? You come. Could I ask us all to stand together? Is there one this morning? You say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. Just come on down. It's okay. Have somebody talk with you. Anybody like that? He's a rock of offense. He will cause you to stumble. You stand before God and he asks you, what did you do with my son? Oh, I thought I was good enough all on my own. Wrong answer. I thought I could do enough good things to outweigh my bad things. Wrong answer. Your sin separates you from God and your sin will cause you to spend eternity in hell. But God put forth Jesus to be the one who would take his wrath. Is there one this morning you say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. You just come on down here. Father, you know our hearts. I ask again for my friends, Lord, Would you draw us close to Jesus? And then, Lord, this morning, as I think of the righteousness of God being revealed in us from faith to faith, oh, Lord, what a tremendous truth that I do not have to just live under the rule of sin. But Christ has been made the end of the law for them that believe. May you be glorified in our hearts. 
Lord, I pray that we would trust you. I'm dead to sin. May we trust you. It's in your name I ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.